This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and in academia. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? I grew up a classic 80s nerd. Loved math, loved science, went to chess camp, went on to MIT where I got multiple degrees and began my career as you would expect someone with that background, starting as a software developer during the dot-com era. But in addition to my primary career in tech, I began to realize there was a weakness. I was missing a lot of what people typically call soft skills. We call them in the program I teach at firm skills. And I noticed this early in my career. I got involved with helping MIT create such a program where I've also now been teaching for 20 years. And so I've had this parallel journey of developing programs in different academic institutions and developing my own skill set within this area. That's awesome. And what are kind of the some of the career pivots you had or kind of got to where you are now, like from industry to industry? How did you uh, jump around? How did you uh, how did that come about in terms of, you know, chances or opportunities that you've gotten? Within my primary career of doing software development, There, I realized early on, because I wanted to become a leader within my organization, what I would need to do is develop not just strong technical skills, but also the leadership, communication, and strategy and other business skills. So I was intentionally looking for jobs to expand my skill set and supplementing that with additional uh, work and education and training on my own. But then in parallel, I looked for opportunities, some in academia, where I could continue to develop skills. So one that kind of bridged both. Early in my career, I discovered an opportunity at Harvard Business School. Some professors were looking for some help developing a new type of class. And so I reached out, I talked my way into that job. They were actually just looking for some undergrad for part-time help, but I convinced them they should hire a professional like myself, and they did. So at that point, not only was I getting a little more involved in academia, but I literally had a couple finance professors teaching me finance while they were paying me. I always joke, Harvard Business School paid me to learn. Yeah, that's awesome. And what kind of came about or when did you decide to write the book? Have you always wanted to author a book or what kind of brought that about? The book was very much not planned. I did write a book years ago that I ultimately decided not to publish. This came from a few factors coinciding. We've been teaching this class at MIT for 20 years, and I know these skills are not just for MIT students, they're not just for engineers. These are universal skills that all of us can 
really benefit from. And for years, I've been encouraging MIT to promote these skills to a wider audience. MIT, of course, began online courseware many years ago, OpenCourseWare, which has now turned into EDX. So MIT pioneered that. But we just, within the program, didn't have the time and resources to really do that. So I began first by just trying to take some notes for the class, figuring out, hand students some notes. And I was spending lots of time traveling, so I had downtime on planes and hotels. And I thought I was writing maybe a 30-page pamphlet, but it turned into a couple hundred-page book. And at that point, I said, you know, maybe this isn't a pamphlet. Maybe this is a full book. And so last year, I looked and said, you know what? I think uh, it's time to publish this. Yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, I, I like or look for uh, soft skills. So things like empathy, um, uh, emotional IQ uh, over, you know, a knowledge base. Yes, it's, it's great if you know something going into a career or job. But if you have that passion and drive to learn something, you're going to learn it in terms of kind of the skill set and the knowledge base. But it's a lot, like you said, it's a lot harder to pick up and develop or even have like a natural um, set of, of soft skills. We can always learn more about accounting, a new marketing technique. That's just knowledge, which we can pick up easily from books, from lectures, from learning stuff online. But there are these fundamental skills that underpin whatever our domain discipline is. And those are the skills that you name skills such as leadership, communication, negotiation, networking. And if you have these skills, what they do is they amplify whatever your domain discipline is. And those are the skills that I think we undervalue. People talk about, we've all heard, oh, you should have an important network. Everyone's heard that, but we don't actually put any time into it. And by putting some time into those, we're going to get much better returns on whatever core competency is. And so that's been one of the themes of the book and the class I've taught and the mentoring I've done to literally hundreds of people throughout my career. Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously, those motivations may have changed over time, but what currently motivates you to succeed? For me, I'm not driven by money. I'm not driven by you know, having to, to have a big name. I'm driven by personal challenge. Right? And everyone has a different motivation. For some people, it is money. For some people, it's having your name at the top of the company, whatever it is. For me, I just like interesting challenges. And so I'm looking for what's going to be challenging. In fact, this is what led me uh, towards this side of my interests. Having been an engineer for years, I still love engineering. I love that problem solving. But engineering for me was a lot like Legos. And I love Legos. There's still some on some of my bookcases. But I don't play with Legos as much today as I did when I was eight. And it's because the, the challenge of Legos is a very fixed and formal type of play, right? The blocks fit together in certain ways, and you can create your own things, but still putting blocks together. Engineering is the same way. We have constraints about when we write software or build some mechanical device, how things have to work. But when we get into these other skills, there's no one way to be a leader. There's no one way to communicate. And situationally, it's very subtle. And those are much more complex problems that I find really interesting these days. Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those things, I, I think personally, it's having a goal or a challenge. And 
a goal for me personally, it's a moving target. So it's not a destination. And obviously it's more about the journey itself. And I often say that complacency is the death of innovation. So if there's something that you're doing that gets old or boring, that you're still good at, that you still do, but you're not as passionate about, kind of discover or rediscover or try to pinpoint or find what that next kind of passion is. Absolutely. In my jobs, Obviously, I get hired because I have some type of competency. They'll say, oh, you've done this before. We know you can do it again. But there always needs to be something new so that I'm pushing myself, challenging myself, learn some developing skills, whether it's technical skills, again, not just software, but your domain skills, or some of these other firm skills that I talk about in the book. Always grow. Yeah, I agree. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? There's a laundry list of weaknesses. Probably the most obvious is public speaking. I was a very timid public speaker. I remember back in middle school, where we had to stand up and do those presentations. And I would just keep my head down and not look at the audience and, and shake and just stare at the paper because I didn't have that confidence. And I knew that this was a weakness of mine. I knew it was going to be a skill I needed later in life. So I began by pushing myself. At first in high school, I was doing debate club. And that was a little easy, it was, it was structured, it was formal, it was a little more comfortable. And over time, I developed my skills by taking some public speaking classes, by looking at good public speakers, and seeing what they did and trying to incorporate that by practicing, and then even expanding it in ways that people wouldn't traditionally think about. So probably the best thing for my public speaking was my years of competitive ballroom dancing. Now, of course, in ballroom dancing, you're not talking. There's no words uttered while you're on the dance floor. But what happens when you're out there is you're performing with lots of people watching. You're literally being judged, and you're screwing up. I've screwed up many, many times. But that built up the confidence that, okay, I screwed up that step. Okay, that was really embarrassing. I, I stumbled there, but it's okay, right? I did that and thought, ah, it's okay. I've gotten through this. And confidence is a good part of public speaking because most of us, our fear is, uh, I'm going to do something embarrassing. And once you get through that, you're, you're much more relaxed. So for me, it was ballroom dancing. For other people, it might be acting. It could be some other type of sports. And now I've been pushing myself to do stand-up comedy, which it's not traditional public speaking, but it's a different style of it that's pushing me in new ways where I'm not as comfortable and strengthening my underlying public speaking skills. Yeah, I agree. There's been several studies done in terms of people identifying being okay with dying more so than speaking in front of people in terms of a fear. So I think everyone has a fear of speaking in front of people, messing up, being judged. But like you said, some of the better speakers or more confident ones have something to get them through that. So it's one of those things where a lot of people think, uh, you know, they have an issue or something that they're not comfortable about or not comfortable in situations, but most likely than not, there's a lot of people that feel the same way. It's just some people are better at kind of tuning that out and finding a process or how they can get comfortable with the situation. And one thing we can do to help overcome this in ourselves, when we look at other public speakers and we see someone on stage and maybe they literally stumble a little, right? A physical stumble or a vocal stumble. 
And you look and say, oh, you know, it happens to all of us, right? That's what we're thinking in our mind as an audience member. Of course, on stage, we're thinking, oh, my God, that was a disaster. And if you can see the mistakes other people make and think about what's happening in your head, how you respond, because that's how we all respond. We're all understanding. Then you start to say, oh, okay, I'm going to remember that for next time. In fact, we experience a lot of that if we think about all the Zoom calls that we're on these days. It used to be, oh, okay, I'm, I'm home and, you know, daddy's got a Zoom call. Everyone be quiet and, you know, oh, don't let the dog in the room. But now we're used to, look, we're, we're all, this is life. You know, kids wander in, your cat steps on your keyboard, and we all laugh and we're all used to it. And coming out of the pandemic, we're going to say, yeah, you know what, if we do some future video call for work, we know this is going to happen and no one's going to look and say, wow, that was unprofessional. Yeah, I agree. So what's one piece of advice you may have for the audience, personal or professional? I would say spend some time working on these firm skills or soft skills if you prefer. The way I think about it, all of us have our domain discipline. We all have some technical knowledge. Myself in technology, I'm li literally using technologies that did not exist 20 years ago. If I wasn't learning new ones, I'd be out of date. And this is true no matter what our field is. So continue to do that. But you need to supplement that. If all you're doing is learning the latest marketing techniques, you're not getting the biggest return on your investment. Consider, for example, you might be spending 80 hours this year learning. And we'll call that reading blogs going to some webinar, conferences, virtual or online, you're, you're increasing your skill set in some way. Let's call that 80 hours. If it's all 80 hours in your discipline, okay, there's value. If imagine you say, I'm only going to put 50 or 60 in that discipline, so I'm going to be not as strong as I could have been, but I'm going to work on, say, my public speaking skills or my leadership skills or building my network all of a sudden you get a much better return. So if we take public speaking as an example, every presentation you are going to do, whether it's within your company, whether it's doing a webinar, standing up at a conference, all of that will be significantly improved by even just 10, 20, 30 hours of working on your public speaking. You're not gonna be a world-class public speaker, but you're gonna come off so much better. So by investing in these skills, we're gonna amplify whatever our core competency is, and typically get a better investment than that marginal return of another 10 hours in our core discipline. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to kind of look at things from like out of the box perspective or from different perspectives. That's why I think it's important in businesses to incorporate other teams and people with, with different disciplines and not only that department that you're in or whatever your company is. So getting everybody together, regardless of who it is or what their role is, and then posing the problem and the, the team that has that problem gives their existing solutions or whatever the bottleneck that they can't get past. And of experiences that I've had in my career um, and starting my own company is when you get all these people with different thought process together, they're going to come up with an out-of-the-box solution a lot faster and it, it's going to be great in terms of feedback and probably improve the process and improve whatever you're working on as well. There's a famous parable, the three blind men and the elephant. And this king sent three blind men into the jungle to look at this, to find this new creature. And so they each come back and the first says, well, I, I found the creature, I touched it. It's like a sharp spear because this person had touched the tusk. And the next comes back and says, no, it's a hairy snake. 
because he touched the tail. A third says, no, it's like a big, thick wall because he touched the side. And they begin to argue. But of course, we know they all touched the same animal. They just got a different piece of it. And to your point, the way an accountant looks at a problem is different from how a salesperson looks at, from how an engineer looks at. And when we bring that perspective, when we each bring our unique perspective and put it together, we get much better solutions. And this is something else, although I'm never going to be that accountant, I'm never going to be that sales guy, by learning a little more about how they look at the world, how they think, how they engage, it makes you much stronger professionally. That time I spent at Harvard Business School learning finance, I already knew the basics of stocks and bonds. So it didn't, didn't help me much there for, say, my 401k. But where it was helpful was understanding how do finance people look at the world. What was really interesting to me is they talked about everything in terms of time value of money. Everything to them can be expressed as you're investing a certain amount of money to trade off against time or risk. And I never thought of the world that way, but this is intuitive to anyone who works in finance. And so each of us have those backgrounds. As you explore and engage with people from different backgrounds, you begin to expand your set of models. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of those things that you mentioned is important is to pick up something or learn something outside of like what your normal uh, sphere of, you know, knowledge is in terms of, you know, business or what you're already interested in, because you may develop a passion or something that you can actually apply what you already know, and then repackage it and try it and, and do something totally different. 100%. And this is why we need to develop a diverse network a lot of people make the mistake thinking, I'm a doctor, I just need to meet other healthcare professionals. But meeting people in different disciplines, or even within your company, as you develop your network within your company, people in these different departments are going to wind up helping you get that better perspective and expanding your own set of resources and tools as you tackle problems. Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can learn more about you or they can find the book or anything else you have going on? Absolutely. You can come to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. On there, you can find more information about the book. You can contact me, follow me on social media, follow the blog, get free resources, or download the free app. And you can also then get a link to where to buy the book, which of course you can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and at local bookstores. Awesome, thanks again for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me today. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.